Oh boy, we're getting close to the end of the year here. We're getting damn close. For some odd reason, <laughs> we missed last week. Uh, well, we didn't miss that last week. This week, it's always fucking hard doing this from a t- for, to say what time it is. Currently, you're listening to the podcast that we did with Rob Wolf, and it is an excellent one. It is my third, I believe, with Rob. Uh, I've been a huge fan of his for many years, read just about every book that he's written. Just a phenomenal guy who's definitely got his head screwed on straight and does a beautiful job of calling bullshit where there is bullshit when it comes to conspiracy and does not hesitate to call bullshit where there actually is conspiracy. And uh, just love this guy. Love what he's done for the health and wellness community. And I love what he continues to do for the planet through his Instagram and his podcast with his wife. And uh, how he educates his daughters and, you know, being a jujitsu practitioner and all the things that he's into. Um, I continue to be a fan of Rob. So thank you, Rob, for coming on the podcast. This one was dope. We took a deep dive into many of the issues going on in the world. I kind of, um, you know, I follow Rob on Instagram and was just peeping through. And I was like, I think we've got plenty of topics to cover here in a little bit more detail uh, than you can get in an Instagram post. And um, it was great. It was great catching up with him. Check out his stuff. We'll link to it in the show notes and you know where you can find him, his podcast, all that good stuff. There are a number of ways you can support this podcast. First and foremost, share it with a friend that you know is down to listen. Somebody that's like, oh man, I love Rob Bull. If you did a podcast with Kyle, awesome. They're going to listen. Uh, if any of the topics we cover today from World Economic Forum or any of the, uh, the old who's who's that we've been talking about for the past couple of years, if people are into that, share it with them. Also, leave us a five-star rating. Organify until the end of the year. So we've got we've got days left upon us. Um, Organify is going to be hooking up someone uh, with a free goodie bag of my favorite product. And that you're entered to win that. All you got to do is leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life. We did get quite a few people in last month in November and this month in December. And I'm super appreciative. Does make a big, big difference. If we can continue that, we might be able to get Organifi to roll this out for Q1 and continue that process because that really does help the show big time. And last but not least, you help the show by by supporting our sponsors. They make the show possible. And in an indirect way, you keep me you know, on the front lines, being able to really take the time necessary to read the books, to dive deep, to watch documentaries, and to bring on the most important guests, in my opinion, that I can. Uh, some are known and some are completely unknown. People that I, I've discovered you know, recently through friends of like Paul Check and different people in the podcast space, Aubrey Marcus, Joe Rogan, guys like that. You know, I find people through those podcasts and get them on here and, and ask my own questions. And a lot of time it's just me you know, hearing about a great book from Dr. Nathan Riley or somebody like that. And then I'll d- deep dive that. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, this guy, Mark Gober, we got to get him on podcasts. And, and Mark Gober's on podcasts. And it's, it's been um, a really cool... Well, Mark, Gober, Mark Gober was on podcasts. I'm not saying I was the first guy to have him on. He already had his own podcast. Just saying though, in with my circle. Um, and uh, that's been you know one of the most fulfilling things that I've done. I continue when I look back at the end of each year with gratitude first on, on you know, what were the great things that were accomplished? What did I learn? What do I really appreciate you know, that happened this year? The podcast is one of the first things that comes to mind because it is my doorway into continued education. It's my doorway into lasting friendships with people that I really give a shit about, people I want to know, you know, people that I've really become a fan of through their art, through their their literature. And um, the podcast is a way to bridge that gap. So 
Thank you guys for supporting the show. I absolutely love this. Uh, of, of all the jobs that I have, this is one of my favorites. I actually love every job that I have. I love being a dad. I love being a husband. I love the podcast. I love being a coach and fit for service. And I love doing working with people one-on-one. They're all super important jobs and they're all very fulfilling. So thank you guys. Uh, support our sponsors. We are, we are really winding down the clock here for fit for service. Um, at the end of the year, we usually cut it right then, but I think we're going to go two weeks into January, maybe 10 days into January. So if you've been sleeping on the job, if you're on the fence, now's the time to get in. Um, don't wait until the last minute because once it's closed, it may not reopen. We have fit for service. Uh, the full year core program. This is the heavy duty, the heavy hitters. This is where you get all the best of the best in coaching from myself to Ghazi, Aubrey Marcus, Caitlin Howe. And we bring in the best. We're bringing in guys like Mark Gaffney this year. We're bringing in, um, you know, we brought in Charles Eisenstein and Jamie Wheel and several amazing people that I've podcasted with have come through. Many of them will be coming back and maybe new, new ones like John Churchill and some other amazing people that I can't wait to sit in front of and pick their brain and just really be in there for their medicine, you know, I'll be front row when these people are doing their workshops and teaching what they know. That's one of the most fulfilling things for me as well is to actually sit and to get to participate as a student with you guys. But I also get to coach and I get to coach on the things that are most pressing for me, the things that actually matter. And if you're curious about what that curriculum looks like, go back to a podcast that we did uh, with Aubrey Marcus very recently on the song, the fourfold song of Solomon. So it's episode 281, Fit for Service 2023, the Song of Solomon. And we break down what that is. It's me and all the, all the first time, all the regular coaches, rather, uh, Aubrey, Godsey, and Caitlin, the full-timers. And we go through what personally arises when we look at the Song of the Self, the Song of the Tribe, the Song of Humanity, and the Song of the Cosmos. And in the, those breakdowns, it's a really powerful podcast, but you'll get a very good glimpse of what we're looking to to extract from 2023. As I mentioned on that podcast, it will be our best year yet for sure. And the reason I know that is because it tracks. Every year we've done it has completely exceeded expectations and blown the previous year out of the water. It just keeps getting better. As we keep getting better and we continue to sharpen our sword of what we're teaching and how we're getting this across to people and the experts that we're bringing in, it just gets better and better and better. And the people we're attracting get better and better and better year after year. Uh, more and more so than ever, the, the right people come through and the right people really appreciate what we're doing and they're all in. And that's easily the most important thing that Fit for Service has done is has created an amazing community of like-minded individuals that are all down to do the work. Nobody's perfect. They all understand that, but they're all down to learn. They're down to be a student. And that's a pretty fucking awesome thing to be a part of. We also have Full Temple Reset. It's our third one. We're only doing one a year now. Uh, it's the end of January, January 25th through the 29th. It's going to be at the farm in Lockhart, the farm that I keep talking about and trying to show people. Um, so you get a chance to check that out. You get all day, every day with me and Eric Godsey for five days. We're going to do the fasting mimicking diet. We're going to mobilize. We're going to get in the sun and the ice bath. We're going to deep dive, um, so much of the psyche from Godsey's perspective and union analysis from symbology into journaling practices and dream analysis. And we're going to meditate each day. We're going, to, we're going to do any practice that's worth a shit. We're going to do that together. And we're going to do it all in the same five days. And at the end of this, we'll have reset ourselves physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually. We end with a, with a sound bath. 
And there's nothing like it. Uh, I mean, I, I really am I'm proud that I dreamt this into being because it is one of the coolest things that I do each year. And I love the fact that it's at the end of January. So if you've been a bad boy or a bad girl this holiday season and eating like shit, like I typically do, um, it's an excellent way to rebound and set the year off right. You know, go all in, do the major acute stressor and uh, learn, learn as much as we possibly can together. Uh, there's a ton of other stuff there. We've talked in detail, but just check it out at, at fitforservice.com slash full temple reset. We'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. I would love to see you at full temple reset and I would love to see you for the year long because it's going to be absolutely awesome. Check it all out. Fitforservice.com. We are also brought to you today by longtime sponsor and friends, organify.com slash KKP. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, leave us a rating, five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life and you're at signal. So like whatever you're at, username for Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and we will shoot you out. Uh, we'll give the winner free product. Simple as that. Um, super nice of Drew and the team at Organifi to do that. They make some of my favorite products of all time, products that I use on a daily basis that my family uses on a daily basis. We've been really using a lot of the, the pumpkin gold uh, all, you know, <laughs> all of November and December. It's an incredibly amazing and sweet wind down time in the evenings where we can just have that with some really good fat. I'll mix in a little bit, little bit of the grass-fed butter and some coconut cream, full fat, and whammo. I'm just in chill mode. I feel really good. I'm not tired, but I just feel a little bit of stress lifted off me. And that's because of the amazing high-dose version of some of these adaptogens and, uh, and plant medicines, really, that are all in their products from the Organifi Red, which is an amazing pre-workout, to the Organifi Green, which is an amazing balancing uh, drink that tastes phenomenal. There's less than three grams of carbohydrates in any single one of these. So you don't have to worry about buying a bunch of veggies, chopping them up, juicing them, cleaning that damn thing for 30 minutes after, and then uh, not being able to, you know, if you don't finish your juice within two days, it's all ruined anyways. The Organifi stuff is incredible. It's also going to bring in all sorts of stuff that you generally won't get, you know, unless you're mixing in moringa powder or another thing like that. Um, that can get quite bitter if you're doing your own alchemy in the kitchen. What's great about the green the red and the gold is that they've already been mastered from a taste perspective. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. Everyone in your house is going to love it. And when you actually love the thing that you're doing, that's good for you, whether that's some form of healthy change with your diet, uh, getting outside more, working out, whatever the case is, you have to actually enjoy that in order for you to stick with it. That's, that's like the main secret that everybody tries to crack their, their skull around. If you don't enjoy yoga, you're not going to fucking do yoga. You might get the 30-day challenge done, but then that's it. If you don't enjoy it, good luck sticking to it. Find something you enjoy, find something that tastes good and is healthy for you, and you'll stick with it. So Organifi.com slash KKP. Use code KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in the store. Uh, they make eating really high-end superfoods tasty. And that makes it consistent. That allows me to stay on track with it. allows my kids to stay on track with it. And I absolutely love that. It's a fantastic way to round out the edges of our diet and make sure we're getting in all the nutrients we need. We're also brought to you today by paleovalley.com. Use discount code KYLE, K-Y-L-E, for 15% off everything in the store. I have uh, an elk hunt coming up. We drew cow tags for Northern Colorado on private land. My buddy Christian Pitty and I, and we will definitely be doing a podcast when I'm out there uh, talking about the hunt, everything we're learning from that. Uh, just finished a full day intro to sniper course precision rifle at uh, Sheepdog, which was just incredible. Learned a whole bunch of stuff like how to call wind, how to, you know, first time shooting at 500 yards. My wife and I were dinging them. And um, I'm super pumped for this hunt. It's been 
years since I've gone on an elk hunt. I came up super dry last time. I only saw the ass of one elk on the very last day out of six days, hiking 15 miles a day through the snow, through ice, up and down. And, um, you know, that, that gave me a very, a very uh, firm respect for the hunting game itself. Uh, but one of the things that I always wrap my head around whenever I go hunting is like, where, where are the good things that I can put in my body that are going to fuel me knowing I could be hiking 15 miles a day up and down, going through ankle deep in snow. And Paleo Valley is the first thing that comes to mind. I've talked about using this on road trips. I've talked about having this in my backpack. So if I'm stuck at work for a long time, I have a healthy snack. Uh, one of the things these guys just came out with that is so ridiculously good, it'll change your life, is the pork stick with pasture-raised pork. It's maple bacon flavor. <laughs> just let that settle in. Maple bacon pork stick from 100% regenerative uh, pork. You can't find that anywhere else, you know, and it's just phenomenal what they're doing. I absolutely love their company, but they have really, really high-end, very good tasting things. One of the things we've been doing this winter is we take their chocolate bone broth collagen and we use that bone broth collagen and chocolate flavor with some raw milk that we warm up. I blend it with a little whisker and then we've got chocolate milk, hot chocolate for the kids. It's, it's so good. I mean, we're having this every single night. My hair is growing faster, which is a little bit of pain in the ass because I got to shave my head more often. Uh, but it's worth it. You know, we're getting in loads of extra collagen. It tastes phenomenal. And these guys continue to impress me with all of their innovation and everything they're, do they're doing. Check it all out, paleovalley.com. Use discount code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, for 15% off everything in the store. And of course, we'll link to this in the show notes. We are also brought to you by my homies at Buy Optimizers. Now, this is, this is a, 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 silent, a silent assassin. This is the most important thing if you're going to throw caution to the wind as enzymes. Did you know that your natural ability to digest food declines with age? This is because your body produces fewer enzymes, which are the proteins responsible for digesting food. Fewer enzymes means more difficulty digesting food. This is especially true if you cook your food because cooking kills enzymes. This is why you may have digestive problems even after a healthy meal. Your body just can't produce enough enzymes to get the job done. This is where supplementing with a high-quality enzyme supplement can be a huge help. I personally recommend Masszymes by Bioptimizers. It's a best-in-class supplement loaded with full-spectrum enzymes for digesting proteins, starches, sugar, fiber, and fat. Taking Masszymes daily helps to top off your enzyme levels and replace the enzymes your body is no longer producing, which means you'll be able to eat all sorts of delicious food and digest them quickly and effortlessly. Now, around the holiday season, it's that much more important, right? Even if the cookie is gluten-free, you're getting a sugar bomb. Uh, I don't normally eat, you know, I don't normally have grain. If we're doing oatmeal cookies, I need extra enzymes to help break that down. So I'm not walking around with a tire around my waist all day from bloating and gas and feeling like shit. I don't want to get bogged down because I got to stay dead. I got to stay up to be able to perform my duties as the dead. And that requires me operating at my best. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have cookies. It just means I need mass times. I need to have something that's going to aid in the digestive stress that I'm putting on my body. And then really getting back on the wagon when it's time uh, and, and getting back in the gym and getting in the sauna and putting good, healthy food in my body. Anywhere around that, when I'm not having that, also super important. But taking Masszymes has been one of the most important changes that I've made for my entire family is being able to extract the most nutrients from our food, eating uh, the easiest digestion. You know, when you do fasting and things like this, how important it is. You, you don't put it in and you're like, holy shit, my brain works differently. Whoa, this is weird. Ketosis. Uh, I'm eating less and my brain switches on in a different way. That's because 
the body uses a lot of resources to break down and fully digest food. And if we don't, we'll see that in our stool. It's the first place we look. So reality check is, if I want to maximize digestion, which is such an important thing, I need enzymes. And masszymes are the best enzyme that I've ever found. Check it out at www.masszymes.com slash Kyle Kingsboo. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S dot com slash Kyle, K-I-N-G-S-B-U. And uh, Kingsboo 10 is your discount code for 10% off your entire order. Again, for the long URL, apologize. It's in the show notes. Last but not least, we have my homies at Desnuda. Desnuda Organic Tequila is the cleanest, best-tasting premium tequila on the market. Launched in January of 2022, Indianapolis-based co-founders Nick Bloom and Brian Eddings selfishly wanted a tequila that didn't leave them feeling terrible after a night of drinking and a spirit that fit into their health and wellness lifestyle. Out of necessity, they created Desnuda, which means naked. Their blue Weber agave plants have been organically grown in Jalisco's Amatean region for seven years. Desnuda is certified USDA organic and GMO and additive free, meaning zero pesticides or herbicides for seven long years. Their domestic competitors grow for only three to four, all while using pesticides and herbicides. Zero sugar is added to Desnuda, giving their tequila a low, nearly non-existent glycemic index. This is good. You want to pay attention to that if you're trying to lose that tire around your waist in 2023. Other tequilas on the market that do add sugar tend to yield larger profits at the expense of your nasty hangover the next day. Lastly, there are no additives like glycerin, food coloring, or sweeteners, giving you the cleanest, true-to-form tequila just like they made it hundreds of years ago. Nick and Brian aren't just passionate about great tequila. They genuinely care about what they put into their bodies, just like so many of us, and believe there is a way to balance life with alcohol. So next time you're out on the town or looking for a tequila to share with friends around the holidays, don't choose one of the many low-quality, high-additive spirits out there. Instead, drink clean, drink naked, and choose Desnuda Organic Tequila for your health and wellness journey. Order Desnuda at www.desnudatequila.com and use the code KKP for an additional 15% off your first purchase. That is D-E-S-N-U-D-A-T-E-Q-U-I-L-A.com. KKP at checkout will get you 15% off your first purchase. And without further ado, my brother, Rob Wolf. Rob Wolf, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Uh, always an honor to bring down property values for you. So uh, if you're foolish <laughs> enough to let me on, I'll, I'll, come, uh, I'll come in like the drunk uncle. Thank you. We're living, we're living close to each other. We're about to live, even live a little bit closer to each other as we were building out this farm in Lockhart. So hopefully don't bring down the property value too much. <laughs> Although I don't want a mass exodus from California to New York into Lockhart. Come to Austin, keep your 30-minute drive, and we'll be good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, look, I've been following you online. Um, I've, I've always loved your content. Every book you've written is, is one that I've really chewed on multiple times. I've recommended to people. Um, you know, the past two and a half years for anybody with their head screwed on straight has been a, a head scratcher. It's been like a kind of a, um, like we're living in bizarro world, I think is one of the safest ways to put it. Like what the fuck is going on here? Right. And I think it's, it's been really apparent for people who have been switched on from the sick care system to what actual healthcare looks like. What does it actually mean to be healthy? What does that entail? Do I need pills and potions and all this bullshit to do that? Or can I actually solve this mystery through diet? and movement and sleep. And um, I don't think it's been that that challenging for people to kind of call bullshit where it is if they already understood it that way. Um, and, and you know, who better than yourself? You, you wrote a book with Diana Rogers, Sacred Cow. We talked about it last time on this podcast that really 
exposes all the mistruths that there are regarding cattle farts or burps, um, soil degradation versus soil regeneration. I've got a, you know, I've got a, I got my force of nature shirt on right here. Yeah. Our buddies out in Fredericksburg, um, to continue for you, what, what is it like to continue to see this push for um, cell-based meat and crickets and, and the climate the climate talk that's happening right now? And I think you and I can both intelligently talk like, sure, climate change. All right, but what are the true solutions to this? And why does it seem that these the answers keep circling back to something that someone can profit from? Yeah, and you know, it. it the, I'm okay with people making a profit. I'm I'm really a market-based capitalist when I'm when it, 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 at my soul. So that said, however, the stuff that I think arguably what you and I are pushing for is this decentralized, um, transparent process where people get to pick how they want to live and the ways they want to live with with some understanding that there are, are trade-offs and costs and benefits uh, tied into uh, you know every decision that we make. But whether you're talking about homeschooling or buying locally sourced food or um, just simply taking uh, your health more into your own hands, like having a concierge medical thing, which sounds really hoity-toity, but a lot of people can do it for uh, far less than what they're spending on on health insurance. And the bugger then also is that you have to then also typically have some sort of backstop um, medical insurance around it. But a lot of what I think we are advocating for is this crazy thing of self-autonomy, of sovereignty. You know, like I want to make the decisions about how I and my family and my my community live and I want to be engaged and, and, and a part of that. And the flip side of this, and, and it's so fascinating to me because, and I hate to break this down into like, this side versus that side, but it, it is, you know, it is kind of the way the world plays out. The folks that historically I would have thought would have been very anti big government, big business, these are the folks signing up for like, oh, no, 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 man, the CDC said, like Bill Gates said, you know, and they're just like hook, line, and sinker. And what they're advocating for is this centralized medicine, healthcare, information. Um, in a way that would make George Orwell like blush, like fucking blush. Like, oh, I can't believe it. It, it. Like, this is so, it's like a trope. It is so over the top, ridiculous, the way that people are trying to sell this. But yet, um, you can get your head lopped off online for even suggesting that there's maybe some some cracks in this Beside, what, what, one thing that's been really interesting, you know, like the the Impossible Burger, like some of these uh, uh, fake food deals, Diana and I were so frustrated with those because they're not regenerative and they're not even economically viable. Like what Diana pointed out in, in um, Sacred Cow, that a, a pound for pound um, Beyond Burger is more than twice as expensive as grass-fed filet. And this is supposed to Damn. be like the solution to the world, you know, and, and people are like, oh, you know, your grass-fed meat is so hoity-toity and everything. It's like, well, grass-fed ground beef is actually very inexpensive. And even conventional ground beef, I, I still don't actually have that many issues with it, uh, particularly if you're this, uh, you know, young family just getting going, living at the margins, and and you got to really you know, pay attention to your your budget, which a lot of people are in there. It's like, eat that over, you know, all the other garbage that we could eat. But it's fascinating, like Beyond Burger had 
and Beyond Foods had all this money, all this cachet, famous people, and it's failing. And it's failing because the thermodynamics don't work. It's kind of like if you um, were trying to engineer a refrigerator to work and it needs pumps and compressors and everything, you're like, ah, we don't need any of that stuff. Like we're just going to turn a fan on and somehow it's going to magically make shit colder. And it's like, no, like that's not the way that the world works. And um, Impossible Foods is, is and a lot of these cell-based entities are running up against the reality that This is kind of an ironic thing. I I know I'm jabbering like an idiot, but COVID created all these supply chain issues and everything. And it also created these economic challenges where like interest rates are going up and all the dumb money that's been circulating in the, uh, in the, um, you know, kind of Wall Street investment scene is gone. And so there's really a tightening of belts and a tightening of purse strings. And what we're finding is that there was a, absolute mountain of dumb money that was uh, put into these uh, you know, fake foods, the cell-based foods, the meat alternatives and whatnot. And just about to a company, they're failing. And it's because it's really, really expensive to try to grow this stuff. Like you need a lab, you need all the raw materials, you need to heat and cool it. You need to put antibiotics in the, in the growth medium. Otherwise, you grow a giant tub of, of uh, you know, toxic sludge. And there is kind of a reality that like sunlight, grass, and cattles, the way that evolution has been working for millions of years, you know, something along that line, it's a really efficient system. No matter what everybody else says about it, it's actually remarkably efficient and it has all these side benefits. You have potentially decentralization of economic infrastructure of people growing and you know distributing their own food more locally. Um, you have uh, improvement in water capture and carbon sequestration, local ecosystems. And there's definitely some challenges around uh, you know the, the industrial food system on the animal husbandry side, but it's very solvable. Like we, we, we don't need, it, it's not like, we're reinventing some some massive thing. It's like it's iterative process. Like it's a very e- relatively easy thing to to fix. And like you mentioned, some of the challenges early on around climate change. The world has been warming for a long time. Like the Netherlands, two thirds of the Netherlands is below sea level, and they've just been building dikes and dams. And 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 they're they're one of the you know most vibrant economies in in Europe. And so it's like. Do we ignore climate change? No, but do it, it is also one of the, the crazy things. It, it is not a, a uh, an existential threat. It's a problem that we have to deal with. You know, it's like I get snow in my driveway and it's like, okay, I got to plow it today. I have a problem to deal with. My pipe broke. I have a problem to deal with. You know, humans are really good at dealing with problems so long as we have good, accurate information and we're not tortured into terror. If we're not terrorized, then we can sit back and be like, okay, yeah, I can figure this out and we can tackle this as a community. But we're being forced into these decisions at the, at the point of terror and we make bad decisions it, it, you know, as a consequence. And uh, again, I know I'm kind of bouncing around and rambling here, but it, it's, it, it is interesting though that a lot of the terror tactics, a lot of the even you know, the like, hey, we're going to reinvent the food system, it's failing. You know, but the the bugger is that it's causing a lot of damage and a lot of suffering along the way. Like part of my um, 
if I'm cynical that day, I'm like, I don't need to do a goddamn thing about any of this because it's all going to sort itself out eventually because we're, there's no way that you're going to displace a global food system by growing it in a vat. It, it, it's just, it's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to happen. But there will be some people that make a bunch of money before it fails. There will be a bunch of folks that um, have, uh, you know, problems. Like right now, the Netherlands is is um, acquiring 3,000 farms that they're going to take offline. The government's going to buy these farmers out and then take them offline to meet climate goals. And what's going to happen there is that they're going to end up with a food security issue in it may be five months, it may be five years, it may be 50 years, but they're going to end up in a food security scenario where this farmland that was taken offline needs to be brought back in, but they have nobody with the knowledge, nobody with the uh, infrastructure to do it. And people are liable to starve and, and have problems. So there's going to be this pain, but we will, again, we solve problems. Humans are great at solving problems, but we're also super fucking good at making problems. <laughs> and that's probably the, <laughs> the crux of all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I see. A, I see a lot of creative problems, and I wanted to bring up the Netherlands. There was a great um, video, a short video from Russell Brand talking about this. You know, and he's of course, you know, he's vegan. He eats all organic, and he's like, I would never wish in a million years that some government forces that upon people. If you want to eat meat, eat meat. Hopefully, it's the best from the best sources, right? Yeah. If you're going to eat food, hopefully you're eating organic. Um, but this pressure that happened with the farmers was switching from nitrate-based fertilizers into organic fertilizers, which are exponentially more expensive, and it's not regenerative. Regenerative is using the least amount of inputs possible, and it takes time to build that system, but once you do, it's self-sustaining, right? So, But to force somebody's hand seemingly overnight, you're basically backing them into a corner where they can't win. Yeah, and it? then you buy up these farms at pennies on the dollar, and, and you, know, you look at Bill Gates doing this stateside, and it's kind of like, huh, are these the guys that are, that are saying, you know, the sky is falling from climate change? And are these the guys that are flying in on 400 private jets uh, to, the, to, the, to Davos each year? Right. This, this is all the same crew, right? Like, right. Is, that, is that what we're looking at here? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm a huge fan and advocate for regenerative practices. But is it Sri Lanka that, that just went like, we're cutting, you know, the... Uh, uh, we're basically pivoting on a on a, a dime our our whole food production system, and they are a fascinating example of of uh, a country that was just awash in abject poverty thirty years ago, absolutely crushed with poverty, food insecurity, and then they had relatively open markets. They started having relatively open elections. They had these crazy things like a, a respect for a rule of law and and a, a property rights and all kinds of magical things start happening when you when you put this stuff in place and it was the one of the fastest growing middle and upper class segments of a population it was a net food exporter and it was using industrial row crop food system practices which do have an expiration date on them they are not regenerative but they will feed people and they can get people to a point where they're not in dire abject poverty living at the margins and get, you know, in that like Maslow hierarchy of needs. It's kind of like, okay, we're not starving. Now, how do we do this in a way that when we come back a thousand years from now, multiple generations later are still able to live on this, this area and thrive and do things well? But this is going to be an iterative process. You can't just pivot on a dime. 
and they tried to pivot their whole food system on a dime, and people are starving to death. Like, and, 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 they, and their economic base got absolutely destroyed, and it's all trying to cater to this kind of weird pie-in-the-sky notion. It, it, you know, there have been some very thoughtful pieces on why folks you know, bought into COVID, buy into the, the climate change narrative and all this stuff. And one of the most credible things that I've, I've taken away out of all this is that the West has largely become less religious, which maybe is good, maybe is bad. But there's been this massive loss of religion and, and spirituality also. And arguably, this is a, a baked-in-the-cake evolutionary need. Like in addition to sleep and food and exercise, like humans might need some belief in something greater than themselves, you know, to to really be healthy. And this thing that folks have have attached themselves to in believing in something greater is is like, uh, I'm going to save the world from climate change. I'm doing my part to, you know, fight COVID because I got all my kids vaccinated, even though their risk of even getting COVID is low and certainly from dying from COVID is almost zero. And, but yet the, the vaccines themselves were untested and have this really gnarly like risk profile to them. But I feel emotionally kind of religiously attached to approaching this because I need to believe in something greater. And that's a, that's a tough one to fight. Like that's a, a really tough one to fight, but um, it, it's going to be something that we're going to have to figure out how to, how to, Face and how to convince both the populace and politicians that yeah we have challenges we have problems but you know like trying to spin a whole food system on on a pivoted on a dime like the the only thing that, that comes to mind that's even remotely similar is like the Bolshevik revolution when um, once the Bolsheviks took control the farming class actually was relatively wealthy. And because they were shifting into this kind of communist uh, mindset, they thought that that wasn't cool. And so they took most of their farmers, most of their food producers, and either killed them or stuck them in gulags. And then they put people who were who, who were high in the the chain of command within the Bolshevik, you know, kind of party, and put them on these these ranches and farms and everything. And they had no idea how to run them. And then hundreds of millions of people starved to death, you know, because they were just like. There was just the, absolutely no respect for the knowledge that is necessary to actually make food and and distribute it and make these things happen. It's uh, that's like the closest analogy that I can think of to what's been going on in in like the Netherlands or or Sri Lanka and some of these other other places where they're they're trying to do good by these these almost religious-based edicts around we should be doing this stuff to mitigate climate change, but without really understanding that, okay, maybe some of the some of these goals are laudable that we want to get to, although I, I think we both agree that there's a lot of, ch- you know, like animal husbandry is not the, 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 uh, the enemy of, of a healthy planet. You know, it's just not. But, you know, figuring out a way to minimize fossil fuel inputs into our food system. Sure, let's do that. But let's do that in an iterative process where we don't crash the whole goddamn thing and cause a bunch, hundreds of millions of people to starve to death in the process, unless the goal is depopulation. And if your goal is depopulation, I am not your friend. I am your enemy and I will die on that hill to fight it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful beautifully stated and it and it very well could be. I mean, we when you when you think through 
rationally, like the decision-making process behind a lot of these things, what they've laid out. Uh, I've got a buddy named Michael Yon, who was a former Green Beret. He was recently on Jordan Peterson's podcast. He ended up flying Jordan Peterson out to the Netherlands to see what's happening firsthand. And um, he introduced me to a book called Red Famine, which talks mm. quite a bit about the Bolsheviks and the Ukraine and dives into that. And one of the things he was saying is what we're, what we're witnessing right now in Europe is, is all, these are all the, the precursors, what's necessary to lay out for famine. And it, and it could happen to Europe as soon as this winter or just a few, a few years from now, but it looks like it's right around the corner if this path continues. And that's pretty, pretty frightening. And I, I really appreciate the, the point that you made too around religion um, Jamie Wheel has an excellent book, Recapture the Rapture. I'm not sure if you've mm. read that one yet. But, no, no. Um, it's phenomenal. And so in one of the first chapters, he really dives into this. And, you know, it's, it's the, the, when Nietzsche says God is dead, he's really talking about, you know, the, the old dying of, of the old guard of, of fundamentalism, even though there's still sparks of that around the world. But what that leaves is a gaping hole. And that hole will be filled with either wokeism or scientism or nihilism. And those three aren't aren't going to do well for us. No, they're they're not. They're not. You know, in a and I I think an interesting question is, you know, why will they not do well for us? But like the the wokeism and the identity politics, it's this neo Marxist thing that we've done this, we've danced this dance before. You know, you look at. Uh, I have a dear friend. I I lived with this Cambodian family for close to a year when I was studying Muay Thai down in, in Long Beach, California, and they escaped um, out of Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge. And they watched their country get absolutely destroyed by this identity politics. Like there, there's always kind of sectarian things that emerge within different cultures. But in, in Cambodia, when the, when the Khmer Rouge really came into power and they wanted to, they, they had this grand vision of, um, basically a, a, an agrarian society. You know, they were going to bring everything back to an agrarian society. And it's a little bit like, uh, uh, you know, the, the Chinese view of this when the, the Maoists um, really, really came into power. But they created this, this... You had people who largely had the same religions, largely looked the same, had very, very minuscule differences between them but they managed to, to create enough friction around the tiny differences that they had between each other that folks were completely comfortable with, with killing each other in mass. This is where like the, the story of the killing fields came from, where uh, you know my, my friends, they escaped out of Cambodia. They were pretty wealthy. His, his father worked in the banking system. But every, every couple of days they would go to bed and then wake up and some family on their street, they would wake up and they were just gone. They like disappeared in the middle of the night and they're never to be seen again. So they um, squirreled away whatever money they could. And in the middle of the night, they, they made a break for uh, getting to the, to the Thai border and they got intercepted by bandits. And like, they thought that part of the, the group that they were with did get shot and, and thought they were dead. And like, I was, it was so Crazy Kyle, I was at a wedding 20 years after all of this stuff had happened. And one of their daughters, like, I couldn't figure it out because the the the, the mom and dad of my my friend Sela, they were pretty young. And then they had all of these kids. They had like six kids. And I was like, 
do mm. these kids really close in age? Like, how does this work? You know, and then Sayla told me that when they were trying to escape out of out of Cambodia, like these other kids' parents got machine gunned, you know, at, at the border and and just killed. And some of them were killed. And so they these his parents adopted these kids like on the fly. One of their daughters that they had adopted, as she was getting married, this woman comes running in the door. And like all of this stuff is going on in Cambodian, which I, I knew like five words of at the time. And like there was like this shock and everybody looking around. The, the woman running in was the real mother of the daughter getting married. Wow. She was shot, didn't die, pulled bodies on top of her to survive, you know, to hide there dug gold fillings out of teeth of dead people to be able to buy her way into Thailand, made it to the United States, thought her daughter was dead, was at a supermarket. And one of the checkout people mentioned, oh, Malika is getting married today. Malika was the name of her daughter. And it's kind of a unique name. And, and she was like, well, who are these people? She re- it was her fucking mom, you know? And so like, wow. and, and, and I'm like, Poking my friend Salem, I'm like, what the fuck's going on? He's like, you're going to have to wait and I'll explain all this stuff to you. But this estimate is like 3 million people were murdered. The, the whole society was crushed and driven back to, to like the, virtually the Stone Ages. And it was all over this kind of sectarian identity politics, which is this, it is this wokeism. And, it, it, it's, and you and I are, I, I guess, concerned about it because we're white more or less straight males born in, you know, I, I, I don't get how like pushing back against this, this hatred and this insanity is, is a bad thing, but apparently it is, you know, and there are all these historical examples of where this goes and it, it's not a, maybe it's an always, it always goes this direction because once we start dividing and, and categorizing people around their value based off of their identity, whether you're, Catholic or Protestant or male or female or gay or this or that versus like a human being. Whenever we start doing that, that, um, that sorting, people end up dead in, 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 in the ma- you know, massive numbers. And so, my God, it's, it's so concerning. And I, I do feel like there's a little bit of a turning. I, I felt like the, the, the train had so much momentum going the other way, like, you know, 2020, 2021, I was like, I don't know if this thing's ever going to, going to turn back around. I've, I feel a little bit of a shift now, but it's, uh, it's still super precarious, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's interesting times if you're you know, not a parent. And then if you're a parent, you're like, it's fucking nail-biting times. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. There's, there's no doubt about it. Have you seen, um, pr- probably haven't seen this, but have you, well, maybe you have seen, have you seen Planet Lockdown? Who's going around uh, Catherine Austin Fitz? No. Okay. I watched bits and pieces of it. I've heard her speak quite a bit. She was, uh, I forget her role, but she was a part of um, Bush Jr.'s White House hmm. and uh, a cabinet member. And I think she had something to do with finance and really understands, you know, a great deal. Uh, it has been a whistleblower on a great deal of the fuckery that's happening within our own government and governments abroad. And um, she's spoken a lot about this idea of a digital prison that, mm-hmm. um, you know, cameras going up, you know, your Orwellian state, basically, um, for people that haven't seen it, it's, you know, cameras on every streetlight. A lot of these went up, um, in the last two years, 
America has more cameras, surveillance cameras per capita than China does. So Mm. when we talk about social credit scores and things like that, people say that'll never happen here. It's kind of the system's already being built is the long and the short of it. Um, I was listening to an an Indian fellow from the Silicon Valley, and I'll I'll link to this in the show notes for people as a pretty cool uh, Zoom call that got posted on YouTube for now it's available. And he really reiterates this very, very plainly. One of the things that he gathers at the end is if we don't learn from our mistakes, this will happen again. Whatever government becomes the new government, it eventually is infiltrated through, um, you know, the ideas of greed, power, all all the things that have that have kind of put us in this situation to begin with. He kind of poo pooed on like smaller, you know, communes and things like that. Um, But really, you know, I think I think it's not a solution to have 50 people living off the land and staying huddled together. Right. But it is a solution to have a small group of people living on the land that's connected to another small people living on the land and another small people living on the land. And the next County over, you've got some people in the next County over, you got some people that, that really is a solution. Um, there's an excellent book by Vaclav Havel. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Jose will fix this in the show notes, but he, I think it wrote, wrote like power, for the people, he he went to jail in um, the Stalinist takeover of of Czech Republic, mm-hmm. and he was imprisoned for for not going along with it. He got out. He actually became the the president hmm. of the Czech Republic. And one of the things he said that kept them afloat, so where they weren't were able to be fully taken over, was the fact that they had parallel systems in place. Mm-hmm. And through that, they were able to trade and barter for things that they needed to make sure things didn't get that way. What what are your thoughts on stuff like that? I mean, I know I know I just fucking rambled a lot about stuff you may have not been been looking at, but um, it seems like the more real this side of the coin gets, the more necessary it's going to be to have things like this in place. No, no, I I'm right there, and you know it's a it's an interesting balance to strike. Uh, you, you one could make the the case, oh, you need to go all in and have this completely off grid set up and you, you you need to know how to raise all your own food right now and all this stuff. And if you want to do that, that's great. But it's a very, that's a lifestyle that you're never going to travel to Costa Rica again, because nobody else is going to come take care of your farm and, and do all this stuff, you know? And so uh, it, it it's interesting though, that I think that there's kind of a middle ground there of supporting local infrastructure around food production, medical access, law enforcement, you know, on and on and on. And having like actual in real life people interacting and doing things. Like we, uh, we we're in, um, uh, you know, Northern Montana now. And the, the cool stuff that happens around here, like there was a cider pressing a couple of weeks back before the, the snow really fell. And there were these folks that have these cider presses and they had a shitload of apples that they were just going to press and like give some apple juice to people and then use the the mash to feed animals and do different things. But they're like, if you have a bunch of apples and you don't have a cider press and you want to want to make some juice, bring it down and we'll we'll do it for you. And there was this big get together and it, it was a couple of dozen people that while we were there and then there were people rotating in through the for the eight hours of the day. But there was a lot of interesting discussion and a lot of other good, interesting things that have come about since that. And I think that that's always kind of been there. But like the COVID story and then just the the kind of insanity within the political scene and whatnot has made people realize we really need local connectivity. And I, 
I think that the the point it, it might be Naval uh, that that made this the the guy that you're referencing possibly, but um, trying to be a Luddite is not going to work. Like trying to just eschew technology and and modernity isn't going to work. We've seen people try to do this in the past, and I mean you have some examples of like the. Uh, Hooterites and Mennonites and, and different folks like that, that that really askew a big chunk of technology and they kind of have their insular communities and that's fine, but it's it's largely like tolerated by the society around them. If you have a society that is like, well, we're not going to let you do that, then you're... <laughs> You don't get to opt out. You know they're going to come in and vaccinate your kids, and you know force educate them, and and do all that type of stuff. And that is where I think that some amount of of thought put into um, resiliency. You know, just thinking about food and energy, and uh, uh, you know heating and cooling and, and water access and all that type of stuff. And we live in more rural areas, so that's a little more amenable for us. People living in urban areas have maybe a, a, a different profile to be able to do that, but they still have stuff. Like you can still squirrel a little bit of food. You can still, you know, have a little bit of water squirreled away. You can have your 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 bug out bag and your get back home bag, and you know, different things like that. You can learn some firearms training. You can have some self defense training, and you can have community that you can lean on if. If things go sideways, uh, uh, there's a, a, a guy, yeah, yeah, Pavel, uh, uh, there's a guy that talked about, it wasn't the, the Czech uh, implosion, but it was in Serbia and Croatia and just talked about developing these parallel systems. Like maybe you should have some silver on hand. Something that we bought a shitload of are the little single serving alcohol containers like you would get on an airplane. Oh, cool. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. they never go bad. They're fine in heat. They're fine in cold. They don't really freeze. But if we needed to get into a little bit of a barter scenario, like that's a really nice, like in bad, in good times, people drink and bad times, people drink more. And, you know, so like we, we have kind of a, a, a big flat of those that, you know, if things got a little bit sideways, then we, we have a, a couple of these, you know, bartering things because I don't, I'm not great working with my hands, like, you know, repairing things. I've got a little bit of medical background, like I was an EMT, so I can stitch people up and probably set a bone if I had had to and stuff like that. So I've got a little bit of tradable skills. But I think that all of those things are smart. And the, the interesting thing about it, when, we, when my wife and I have made decisions around where to go in building these parallel systems, the, the thing that is the, the uh, decision maker for us, Will it improve our quality of life today, regardless of whether or not the world goes to shit? And if it's a yes, and there's not too many, you know, there's 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 uh, trade offs with everything. But if there's not too too super heavy in the trade offs, and um, and it improves our quality of life today, then it's we do it, you know. So whenever we can make a decision that we do something that creates an opportunity for community and for us to, you know, like we installed a. Uh, a simple pump. We're on a well, but we put this pump in where you can pump it, it, you know, pump water out of the ground by hand, and then you can hook a hose up to that that pump, and then uh, a hose spigot, turn it on, and then I can pressurize my my pressure tank for the house so that I could have water for oh, cool. for the house. It was really cool. And as a family, we figured out how to install this thing. And so my eight and ten year old daughters, and I'm an idiot with this stuff, you know. And but I, I told them, <laughs> I'm like. 
hey, I don't know how to do this, but this is one of the things that we're going to figure out how to, how to do. And there were some cool online videos and stuff like that. And we got this thing installed and then we, we pumped water out of the ground by hand. And my kids were like, fuck yeah, that's really cool. You know, that was, that was super awesome. And so uh, we managed to turn that into a, a learning experience. And then we've, we've done uh, these other community-based things where we get out and meet people. And um, if there's older folks in the community that need some help, like yard work or whatever, then we'll go over and like do, do some stuff with that. And then lo and behold, when their apple, you know, harvest comes in, they're like, Hey, we have 50 pounds of apples. We don't know what to do with. And I'm like, (laughs) I I absolutely know what to do with those. We're going to eat those, you know? So yeah, I I think building these parallel systems is is genius. And, um, and it doesn't have to be like turning one's back on the current world or your current career or society. I mean, maybe you need to, if, 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 it, if you know, certain parameters are, are there, but I think we can find a little bit of a middle ground, but we've got more resilience and we have a better community in, in real life immediately with us that creates those parallel systems or, or at least has the beginnings of, of that stuff going on. One of our good friends, they own a bison ranch nearby and they, uh, their big, their big problem, and the problem of all the folks locally who produce meat is that uh, the the uh, processing options are very limited. Like people have to send meat far away, typically to get it processed. There's not that many options here, and so uh, folks have been looking at putting together kind of a co-op where there would be three or four mobile slaughter units that could could be owned within the co-op. And go to different places and be able to process this this meat, and it would be enough that you could keep a good s- segment of the local area in in meat just using these mobile slaughter units. And it's something that the FDA oversees, but it's not controlled in the same way that like a brick and mortar facility is and stuff like that. But that was something that grew out of this awareness that like, okay, this choke point with food, uh, uh, you know, access. Is is at the the uh, slaughter and and butcher level? Like we saw that during COVID, when all these folks were getting sick in these these big slaughterhouses, and they they just shut down. And there was plenty of food available; they just couldn't get it out to folks. And we started having some shortages. Yeah, we've seen uh, quite a few meat processing and food processing places go up in flames mysteriously in yes. the last year and a half. Yeah, as well. <laughs> and, uh, there was one article, it's interesting how all these are worded, but there was one article that said, you know, all previous fires with regard to food processing, meat processing were, were arson. Like they were all previous, but these are still under investigation. Like, like we're not sure. It's like, right. really? We're not sure? You're not sure somebody lit these on fire? Um, and that that's another head scratcher. But yeah, I've been thinking quite a bit about that. We, you know, we've started a regenerative farm. It's only 118 acres. Um, we've got quite a few hands on deck, you know, volunteers, people that are a part of that. And it's really just to produce more than we consume, you mm-hmm. know, so it's going to feed, you know, a number, a number of people locally and um, all the excess, you know, we're, we've made friends with an organic grocer down in Lockhart and we supply them with a lot of goodies. Uh, but yeah, the meat thing, that was a curious one to me, you know, even a lot of the regenerative stuff, uh, if it's processed at a USDA facility, you're still shipping that animal. We brought animals in all of our animals had to come in uh, other than the white tail. And every time we brought an animal in, they're freaked the fuck out for two weeks. Yeah. You know, I get really stressed because they've never been on a car before, never right. been on a truck ride. And uh, to think about that, you know, you've got this, 
incredibly regenerative, amazing animal. It gets shipped somewhere. It's kept in the dark for 72 hours. The clamp goes on and then no country for old Ben behind the head. That's, that's not, you know, halal. That's not kosher. That's not whatever the, the actual, you know, attempt at having a, a sacred death would be. And we found that, you know, if you own your own animal, obviously with the co-op, you guys found the same thing. If you own your own animal and you know how to process it, or we bring in, you know, our good buddy, uh, Jared Holmes, who works with Rome Ranch, you know, is, is a excellent field guide mm-hmm. for field butchering. And then you get to learn butchering. You get to learn a lot of cool shit that I never did before. It's a deeper connection to the animal and the meat that you're harvesting. And, um, and it's a really beautiful experience. It's, it's, it's akin to like putting your own water pump in. And now when you pump water, you're like, oh yeah, like I'm, we did that. Right. Yeah. yeah. You get it. I get, I get the T-bone that I'm about to eat because I remember making, I remember doing the cut and deciding, do I want this to be a T-bone or do I want a ribeye and filet? Right. And we said, let's go T-bone, you know, and that, that's how it works. So, or New York and filet rather. Yeah. I, I think, um, you, some of the requirements of those that, that will continue to choose freedom over uh, a docile, (laughs) some form of docile enslavement um, is going to require more work. It's going to require just saying yes. But as you mentioned earlier, and it really is something where in in the right set and setting in a calm and present state, we're really good at problem solving. You know, if we've we've got blinders on and you think about that in a fight or in jujitsu, if you're panic mode, you got you got tunnel vision. You're so fucked. Your field of view is yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like there's no options. All the options are gone. Yeah. Um. So you know, opening that up, coming from a place of uh, you know, a place of presence and equanimity, all those options open. Talk a little bit. You had an excellent podcast with uh, Josh Trent. Talk a bit about how you convey this stuff to your family. You've got two daughters. I've got a son and a daughter. Um, what are some of the things that you do to educate them on mental health and to really fill their cup so that they can keep that field of view open? Man, you know, one thing that I, I really try to do is not, and folks may call bullshit at this or they, they may be incredulous, but um, I really try to talk about the different perspectives in the world first. I'm like, hey, kids, this is my view of things. And like on on the COVID side, like there are people that think that it's it, it's this existential threat, and that masks are uh, masks are effective, and that the risk reward story of a, a, a novel you know uh, injectable therapeutic that isn't technically a vaccine that the risk reward thing, and and we talk about ri- so I try to lay out like multiple perspectives on this stuff, and then I will tell them I'm like here's my take on this and here's why. So I'm really trying not to do the like religious zealot angle on it where it's like, oh, those goddamn conservatives or liberals or this or that. I I try to couch all this stuff in terms of like, here's what people think about this and here's the different ways that they look at it. And then where does reality emerge out of that? And that's really what I've tried to do. And I will be crystal clear with them. I'm like, this is where my opinion is on this. And here are the facts behind it. I encourage you guys as you grow up and you get thrown different facts. If you see something that doesn't jive with what I'm saying, you call me out on it. You ask questions about it. And I need to be able to defend that. And defending it isn't saying, be quiet, not now, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, old man, like you need to be accountable for this stuff. And they're only eight and 10, but they're fucking smart. Like they, and, and they, they figure stuff out. And what's interesting is they, um, they have naturally gravitated towards this more libertarian, you know, like 
I don't harm you so long as you don't harm me. If you start harming me, I'm going to harm you doubly because you started it and I'm going to make sure you don't come back and try to to finish it later and stuff like that. Both of them are good at jits. Both of them have a good stand-up game for for being eight and 10. So like they can... They can dish some whoop ass on on people, and they're just smart, you know. And it, but they're also very emotionally attuned to stuff. So, I mean, the big stuff that I try to do is make them critical thinkers. And this is the thing that I I bring up again and again and again. You know, these folks are saying this. So, so Sacred Cow is a great example because they got to watch the 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 movie, and they're like, "Oh, my dad helped make that movie," you know. So there's there's some pride there, and it's kind of cool. But I'm like, but. Let's check out these other things and what these other folks are saying. And we do. And I'm like, where do you see the conflict here? What do you see as being the stuff? They're like, well, those people are saying that these animals are the main cause of climate change. And is that really true? And then we'll dig in and look at some of Stephen Coonan's book, Unsettled. And it's like, well... No, you, you you know the 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 science seems to suggest this, and and so these have been the things that I you know broadly I just try to make them good critical thinkers. And on the homeschool front, we are really uh, emphasizing a math, physics like like background. They're not into physics yet, but we we talk about it in kind of broad brushstrokes. And uh, there's a great series of books called Life of Fred, which is a amazing for kids and it it spans all the way from um single digit addition and subtraction all the way up into calculus and 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 chemistry and and, and what he what the guy does he was a phd in mathematics but he integrates all this different stuff into the the day-to-day learning and it's in the story of this kid named fred who's a professor at kittens university and it's very whimsical and funny but there's a lot of cool shit in there but the girls have already been exposed to concepts of like uh thermodynamics like energy flows and inputs and and at a conceptual level they get it you know and so they're really creating these critical thinking skills i don't know what the world's going to be like there's all this weird ai stuff that just popped up like i could put into the the ai like Write a biography of of uh, you know uh, Kyle Kingsbury and and his uh, exploits in in the world, and this fucking AI will write something that's phenomenal and it's like 0. 0.2 milliseconds for it to do it, you know. So I don't know Damn. where I, I don't know if you've seen this stuff. It is like jaw. Uh-uh. It is crazy, um, and I don't know where that's going to take the world. But I do know that again to be able to navigate any of it. We need to not be stressed. We need to not be in fear. And we need some critical thinking skills. And we kind of need to, to fundamentally know how the world works. And if you can read really well and understand what you're reading, if you can communicate both verbally and written in a highly effective way, and if you understand mathematics at a, at a reasonable level um, and, and, you know, like the basics of like chemistry and physics and biology and just, you know, systems ecology, even if you do nothing in the sciences you have a good steeping for just understanding the world. You know, if somebody comes to you and they, they say solar power is going to be the answer to all of our problems, it's like, okay, cool. So talk to me about how much energy goes into making a solar panel versus how much we get out of it over the life cycle of that panel. And people are like, oh, fuck. Okay, well, solar panel is a great <laughs> thing in certain circumstances when you start putting some constraints around it like like that you know but i'm hopeful that the the girls are going to have a far better 
critical thinking Rolodex than I had at, you know, hopefully they'll have it at a much earlier age because they're going to need it at a much earlier age than, than you and I did. You know, like we, the world was still good enough for you and me that I, I could be a complete fucking knucklehead and the world would still take care of me more or less. Like it was like a bowling for like little kids where the, the bumper lanes come up and it's like, you can only <laughs> yeah. fuck up so much and you're still going to be in the, in the game. But, um, I think the stakes are higher now and the, you know, our generate, our kids are going to be the ones who are going to have to unfuck a lot of this stuff. And they're going to be very, going to need to be very agile of mind and good at critical thinking and, and, uh, you know, good emotional intelligence and all that. So I, those are the things that I try to work on them with is basic critical thinking skills and then a good understanding of how the world works, you know, which I think energy flows evolution and then economics, you know, like understanding resource scarcity and how that drives decision-making and, and, you know, challenges and whatnot. And I think if absent that stuff, I think that the world is magic and I don't mean magic in like a whimsical, cool way. I mean it as in you are a victim because you are one is so ignorant of the way the world functions that you have no input or say in the way that things function. Yeah, there's there, and to your point, there are quite a few people that are just along for the ride. Um, you know, I was looking at the Jordan Peterson clip that you had posted, uh, talking about you know ID twenty twenty or ID twenty thirty and airports and facial recognition everywhere, and, and a lot of that gets covered in the in the in the YouTube video that I'll share in the show notes. But um, how how many people are just going to walk right into that and say digital passport? Cool. You know, like, and then not throw up, they're just, they're, they're not, they're so ingrained in the thing that, that there's no, there's no critical thinking about it whatsoever. It's just like, this is the new technology. Sure. They don't think about what this leads to or the potentials there. And any, any talk or rhetoric around social credit or what's happening in China, it's just so far beyond what they see in their day to day. This is a free country that'll never happen here. You know, that they can just walk right into the thing. Um, so much of what kids are, you know, even when in our education, I went to public school and then, and then later in college and my colleges were junior college in Arizona state, number one party school in the nation. So it's not like I went to an Ivy league school or any of that stuff. Um, but it seemed I got to learn a, a decent amount of things and, and it didn't seem as much of an indoctrination as, as maybe it is today. It certainly feels with what they're teaching kids with relation to CRT and a lot of these things that it's, it's very much indoctrinating them. And, and we've known for the longest time that school doesn't teach you uh, how to think. It teaches you what to think, the memorization of facts, right? And I think the, the beautiful opposition of that, whether it's unschooling, homeschooling, however that looks, is we have to teach our kids how to think, not what to think. It's, it's, there's no memorization of anything other than a couple of rules of thumb when it comes to arithmetic and things like that. But really what it's about is being able to think critically for themselves because is the, the, the percentage of people in the population that will be able to do that in the coming generations is slim and the world needs it more than ever. It, it really does. And, you know, my cynical side, I'm kind of like, am I, am I setting my kids up to be heroes to help save a future world? Or am I painting a target on them that they're going to be the first ones against the wall because they stand out? And I, I, I don't know, but I, it's, uh, you know, there's all that saying of better to, die on your feet than on your knees and uh, all that type of stuff. And I, I definitely subscribe to that. And uh, my wife re- read a book, the, the Fourth Turning, and, and like I haven't been able to read it, but she's given me a good synopsis of that. And I, I think that they're... 
the cyclical view of history, I think there's something powerful there. And there's also something, uh, there's hope because it's like, okay, there's not just a guarantee of a dystopian future. Like maybe we can thread this needle and get out the, 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 the backside of this thing and have more freedom and more opportunity. Uh, this is some of this stuff like Web3, like the, the NFTs and, and blockchain and, and stuff like that, which I know is taking a beating um, in the media because, you know, like SBF, FTX collapsing and all these different, different things. But I really do think that the, uh, that blockchain technology and the decentralization of everything is the route through this. Like the more centralized power is the easier it is to to um control and manipulate markets and people and 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 everything and so yeah man uh creating good little critical thinkers like it's going to be a lot on their plate but it's going to be a lot on their plate either way and again i think um arming these kids with the ability to to be resilient to be tough um to, to never get up to never give up you know, it, 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 these things that will hopefully serve them really well and hopefully serve the, the future of the world very, very well, because we, we definitely will need that. You know, the, the homogenization of thought and, the, and within like all that CRT stuff, there's a great book called uh, Cynical Theories, which really uh, digs into the history of where the, the critical, you know, theories emerged in, in the, the, the neo-Marxists in the, the late 1960s, early 1970s realized that Marxism had failed, like abject fail. You know, like uh, Cuba was kind of the last holdout and like it was a, an absolute disaster, but they weren't willing to give the, the thing up. And uh, even though they acknowledged it was a failure, so they rejiggered it. And instead of just going, you know, straight ahead with this kind of uh, Marxism as, as Marxism, became critical race theory and gender theory and all these these different things. But it's always, it is always a segregating of the population. It is never a looking at a human being as a human being. Maybe I'm an asshole, but I'm, I'm just an asshole. I'm not an asshole because I'm white and male and cis and have kids like those, those things don't make me an asshole. Those are peripheral things about my life. If I'm an asshole, I'm an asshole because I'm an asshole. But if you want to get people in a state to, to be really uh, comfortable with killing their neighbors, then you make everything about all the other stuff and nothing about their fundamental humanity. And this is one of these things that I, I just, I can't, when I say that, I feel this kind of emotive part to it that it's like, that seems right. And I also don't see how I'm trying to control anybody. Like who's in control with that? You know, there, there, there's no, you know, top down control with any of that. But my God, there are people that get angry when I try to articulate, or just throw that out there. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? They're like, oh no, absolutely not. Like gender and race and this and that, these are the only things that matter. I'm like, really? That's it. Like the, the, the fundamental core of who, who this person is as a, as a human being isn't the, the most important thing. It's all this other trappings. Like if they're, if, if, if they're black or white or yellow or whatever, but I'm blind and I have no idea what that means. I was born blind. It's like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. And that's the most important thing. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's an excellent book, uh, two of them actually, uh, from Douglas Murray. 
the Madness of Crowds, where he really dives oh, yeah. into this. Yeah. And the, the War in the West was also an amazing follow-up. But yeah, he, he, he really dives into, into CRT. And, and, you know, as he goes through the problem in society, he, he looks to the, you know, really the, the best thinkers throughout our history. And, and with that in particular, he brings in Martin Luther King Jr. And he says, like, this flows exactly contra, counter to exactly what he was talking about in his I Have a Dream speech. The dream that one day his, his his kids will not be looked at by the color of the skin, will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by their humanity. It flies completely in the face of that. And anybody who's a parent and witnesses kids, like, you know racism is a taught thing. I remember yeah. racist kids, and if I'd go hang out at their house, it was the fucking dad yeah. or the mom that was regurgitating shit at a, way more often than the kids do. And by nature, the kid's going to become that way. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so, it's so, it's so far beyond the stretch of any imagination to assume that because of skin color, someone is inherently born racist. And, and um, Douglas Murray just does such an excellent job of showing like, look, even the, one of the best thinkers of all time on race, you're going in the exact opposite direction of what this guy was trying to create for the world. Yeah, and I feel like we were like uh, a hair's breadth away from that dream being realized. And then, you know, like early 2000s, I felt like, oh, we're getting close. We're getting closer, you know? And then it just took this took this turn. But that that's where like all this, um, the CRT stuff kind of, it went from the more uh, social science side of the house in universities and then the the uh, uh, Brett Weinstein, uh, Heather Hying of of Dark Horse, like they, I, I never really understood the mechanisms behind this stuff. But as like the the math and science and physics departments developed HR infrastructure, the HR folks were the products of these critical race processes. And then those people became the interface of who they hired and who they didn't and started creating policies. And so where, where like when I was in my, my chemistry undergrad, none of this stuff seemed to exist. Like I remembered some of my like poli sci friends and different stuff or, you know, they were all into this. I'm like, how the fuck are you guys talking about that? Like, what are you getting educated about? You know, what are you going to do with this? But um, there was none of that in in the chemistry curriculum and chemistry scene, but there, it is now, you know, and it, it is, it has come about because of this uh, HR interface being the, the, the gatekeeper of who, who now your chemistry and math and physics teachers are. And you gotta, you gotta tick these, these certain boxes around that. Yeah. Well, one last thing I want to leave us with before we jam, uh, you posted about it. It's been something that's been shared far and wide. James Cameron, who's getting ready to uh, release the the 13-year-long-awaited sequel to Avatar, um, has recently been been in the media talking about testosterone as a toxin that that should be removed from 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 masculinity. And and your your reply to that was classic, and it's something I didn't even think about. Um, just aside from you know the, the funny memes of uh, one of the you know the the guy from Napoleon Dynamite as the Terminator, right, you know, the, right. the no testosterone Terminator, <laughs> things like that. But let's talk about this for a minute because, you know, he's a guy, uh, you know, I think he, he helped fund what the health, he also has $43 million invested in a pea protein company. Um, and he's been, you know, on the bandwagon beating the vegan drone and down with meat and all these things. And now, you know, just the, 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 
to, to call any hormone in the human body out is just is just beyond me. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and you know, I I was uh, very delighted when uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman popped into my my comment on that, and he's like, "You're spot on." Like, you know, the uh, what's been well understood is is looking specifically at men. Men with normal high testosterone levels tend to be more empathic, more emotionally grounded, less aggressive. Like, there's all this. All this stuff. Now we we can talk about knuckleheaded teenage boys, you know, between like fifteen and twenty-five. We are idiots. Our frontal lobe hasn't formed yet. That's maybe a different story. And in biology, makes more boys than girls by a little percentage because not all the boys make it through that process because we're we're idiots. So there's maybe a little bit of of something interesting to unpack there. But there's this assumption that you know masculinity, what it, however you want to define that, is this bad thing and that it's it's driven of this like high testosterone state. But this is one of these, these crazy things. He makes this statement not even aware that the dominant sex hormone in women is testosterone. So then what are the implications for that? Okay, well, if testosterone is bad, then women need to expunge themselves of testosterone also, which women with low Testosterone levels have problems with muscle mass, uh, with sexual function, with cognition. Like it's as if hundreds of millions of years of evolution and an endocrine system that goes back to sponges has some meaning for our biological, you know, situation. And even you know, in modern kind of CRT stuff, like when people are wanting to do transitions. They do hormones or hormone blockers to try to more closely emulate the the gender that they're they're wanting to emulate, you know. So it, it's a it's another one of these really odd things. It is is it's ironic. It's it's remarkably bigoted and hateful and, and just ignorant at a profound level. Like that is as uneducated as. Um, uh, running someone down because of the melatonin, melanin content of their skin. Like that is bigoted and ignorant and not based in science. And, 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 and for James Cameron to, to suggest that uh, testosterone is a toxic substance and that we need to terminate it from our bodies and then it, you know solely assigning it to men, not even being aware that it's a critical feature of women and that testosterone is a in higher abundance in both men and women, you know, across the board, this kind of encapsulates this whole thing. It's like, you folks don't know what you're talking about. Like you literally have no idea what you're talking about, but you're trying to steward all of our education, all of our media, all of our politics. You want to take over our food system, yet you have no idea about the fundamental truths of hormones in, in uh, human adults. You know, and and we're just supposed to, you know, buy into this. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It was it was really weird, and I I had thought a lot about how to tackle that, and I'm like, well, be be uh, respectful and scientific about it because it's it's hard to get you know critiqued around that, and there was actually relatively little little blowback as a as a consequence of that. Um, I can get cheeky and be a prick, you, you know, with the best of them, but I was like, well. <laughs> Let's just be scientific and, and respectful. And that actually had a pretty, pretty profound response. Folks were like, I had no idea this was true. They got in and started researching. And it's like, oh, estrogen is reported in totally different units than testosterone in women. So it looks like it's higher, but it's actually just accounted for in different units. So 
Yeah. Funny, funny shit, man. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I, I love having you on. You, you, in an insane world, help help keep me sane, and I appreciate that. Uh, where can people find you online and, and uh, where can people listen to you more? Uh, RobWolf.com is where it, any action that I, I have going on, uh, which I'm not doing a, a ton other than our Healthy Rebellion uh, podcast, which I do each week with my wife. We do Q&A and we, we cover a lot of different stuff. I mean, mainly health oriented, but it, it's become a little bit of a Dear Abby show as well with some wacky but really interesting questions. So if folks have health related questions, definitely jam over to robwolf.com, fire off some questions to me because I love answering that stuff. The The interface with folks is the way that I stay relevant in this scene because I, I can only know what I know. But when people are out reading and researching and thinking and experiencing different things, like it's like I've got a thousand or 10,000 uh, uh, research friends that, that they go out and try to figure things out. And if they don't understand the topic, they can ping it to me. And maybe because I've got a little bit more depth in this background, I can dig into it and, and learn about it myself. Very cool. It's been excellent having you on. We'll do it again next year. I hope you guys have a, a beautiful holidays and close out. And much love to you and your family, brother. Take care, man. Thank Can't you. wait to see you.